It's Film Friday, so you know what that means. Hey everybody, it's the third week of November. We are rolling, rolling, rolling. It'll be Turkey Day in what, less than a week? Anyway, this week's film review, Jason Bourne departs from his more serious dramatic film turns and turns and acts in what appears to be a smart, quirky comedy with Sue, the target lady. This should be interesting. Let's get into it. Hello, all you <laughs> hello, all you cinephiles, film nerds, and movie fictionados. It's Film Friday here with Flicks and Scripts with Jay Starks. My name is Jay Starks. I am your host. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This week we're talking downsizing with Matt Damon. Now, the reason I said Matt Damon, that's the last time I'm gonna say like that. If y'all Dude, oh man, sorry, I watched this film by Trey Matt Stone, Trey Parker Matt Stone, the creators of family, creators, actors, writers, blah, 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 of uh, South Park, did this amazing film called Team America that I saw in movie theaters, and it is utterly hilarious to me, it is hilarious, but anyway, they portrayed Matt Damon, it, it involved a lot of marionette dolls, uh, which, like, if you haven't seen Team America, you gotta watch it. We might do a film review for that. You know, that might be a great July episode. That's very patriotic-ish. It was a satire. Anyway, but they kept saying Matt Damon's name like that. So that's why I was saying that. Anyway, welcome, guys. <laughs> welcome, folks. <laughs> this is the second comedy we're doing for Turkey Month. Uh, well, I guess it's a comedy. It, it, it has comedic kind of vibes from the trailer that I saw. Anyway, we'll see what it's like. But... We're going to get into it because I've already wasted like a minute just laughing at myself. Uh, so Downsizing was released in 2017. So this is a bit of a throwback film here. Five years ago. Is, is that right? No, shit. It's 2023. Six years ago. You know, it's weird. The older you get, the quicker time seems to fly by. What's with that? You know, you're, you're a child. It feels like everything is slow and moving slowly. Then as you get older, it's like just speeds by, you know. I don't know. That's some kind of, you know, that, that's a whole different podcast. So Downsides released in 2017 is rated R. It's 135 minutes. It's a drama fantasy sci-fi. Let's get into some of our uh, cat, some of our crew. And then we're going to get into our top build cast after we do the log line. Now, I'm a little interested because I don't know how to do this log line because that trailer felt very comedic. So I don't know if I should do my comedic one or my dramatic one. You know what? Let's just fill out. Let's do it in between. Let's see if we can do it in between here. Okay, guys. All right. You ready? <clears throat> a social satire in which a man realizes he would have had a better life if he were to shrink himself to five inches tall, allowing him to live in wealth and splendor, which is an amazing thought process. <laughs> it's amazing because, you know, you think about especially now in 2023 with all our inflation and everything that. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. You know, like, you know, we go eat our food, but if we were five inches tall, we wouldn't need as big of a portion of food. So think about all the money we could save if we were able 
to have whatever money you might have in your bank account. That'll stretch a good bit. You just need like a raindrop of, of water. You know what I mean? That might be your eight ounces for the day. That's a pretty weird, interesting, but yet incredible thought process. Let's get into our crew here. So our, we have another writer director combo here. I love these combos. Once again, not purposely done. Uh, so yeah. Oh, you know what? Before I continue, before I continue, just want to say the Turkey Day is next week. Okay. This is the 17th. So happy Thanksgiving in case I forget to say it uh, later on. So yeah. Anyway, hopefully you guys don't eat too much food or if you happen to downsize yourself, then you don't have to, you know, cook as much or spend as much money. And then you can solve that issue and watch and enjoy this film. And then any screen like your phone screen would be like a drive in movie theater screen if you downsize yourself. I'm just saying. So downsize yourself. You eat a little bit less. You save a lot of money and then you don't have to like have a big TV or whatever to watch this. Any screen will be huge for you. Just, you know, just throwing out little nuggets here. Anyway, writer, director Alexander Payne did this particular nugget of a film. So Alexander Payne is the director of Nebraska for 2023. I did hear of that one. Never saw it. Sideways. He was the writer and director for that one, which is a comedy drama romance. Nebraska is just a drama. And The Descendants, which I did see, which has Mr. George Clooney, is a comedy drama. So he served as director, producer, and writer for that one. So this kind of explains that the lane that this film is kind of going into, because it seems as though he kind of dips his toe into both of those lanes. So that's pretty cool. But not only did he write this, he also had a writing partner, Mr. Jim Taylor. Um, known for election, which he also worked on with Alexander Payne sideways. Once again, he was credited with screenplay and more importantly, or should I say not more importantly, more popularly Jurassic Park three. He was the writer for that one. Whether or not you like the film or not, he was the writer for it and about Schmidt, which is pretty cool. Uh, so I definitely recognize a lot of his films. So once again, it'll be interesting to see how this works. Our composer for this one is Rolf kent that's a cool name r-o-l-f-e i hope it's rolf and not like rofi which <laughs> i doubt it's rofi but anyway so he, <laughs> mr kent was a composer for sideways as well composer for mean girls never saw it probably not gonna watch it not necessarily my cup and tea uh up in the air and of course this particular project our producers are we have three for this and we have uh jim taylor who is also as i mentioned the writer and producer of a couple films alexander payne so pulling triple duty here just the same as jim taylor and more and last but not least should i say mark johnson now mark johnson uh looking at him i his name doesn't like immediately bring up any you know flares or signals but man he's produced some good stuff Rain Man from 1988, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie from 2019, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, 2005, The Rookie. Man, he's been producing some pretty big knockout hits and movies. So that's really exciting. Really, really exciting. Our cinematographer here is, oh man, is Faden, Faden, Papa Michael. Faden, Papa Michael. Also DP for Nebraska. So there's our one degree of separation DP for Ford versus Ferrari 
deep well, cinematographer, excuse me, for Walk the Line and the trial of the Chicago Seven. He served as DP. They served as DP for that one. So, oh, man, that's a cool name, too. I got to be honest. Faden. I'm assuming it's Faden. It's P-H-E-D-O-N and not Faden. But Faden sounds kind of cool. And Papa Michael. What? That's a cool name. That is a cool name. Uh, our editor is Kevin Trent. Sorry, Kevin Tent. Editor for The Descendants. So there's our, our separation. So basically, Kevin Tent has edited all of the films that Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor have been involved in. The Descendants, Election, About Smith, and Sideways. So they just roll, they just roll together. You know, they, they, they out there rolling around, helping each other. Friends helping each other make art. That's amazing. That's cool. And last but not least for our crew side of things, Stephanie Chella, unless it's Cella, it's C-E-L-L-A, but I do like it. She spells Stephanie with the F and not the traditional P-H, the P. So Stephanie Chella or Cella. So she is a production designer for The Great Beauty in 2013, but it was stylized as La Grande Beleza. Uh, so, um, so just have a you know that was my that was my attempt at an accent uh this must be the place she was production designer for that from morbius so for all you marvel um superhero comic book nerds out there then morbius she was production designer for that one and that one i i hated that movie i did not like that movie but the production design was fantastic i will give yeah i will say that it was it looked nice <laughs> so last but not least let's get into our top build cast here so our top build cast we have mr matt damon as paul sephronic sephronic um and matt damon you know that's a, a household name at this point in time so you know he wrote uh acted in goodwill hunting which is one of his first breakout films but he was also in the martian the departed um uh, a lot of things like Matt Damon's Elysium. The list goes on and on. There's no point in me listing all of his films, right? Christopher Waltz. Oh, man. I love this actor. Not necessarily on my um, Mount Rushmore, but I love Christopher Waltz. I've not seen a film that I haven't liked. So, Christopher Waltz, you wonder, who's that guy? Well, he played in Django Unchained. He wasn't the African-American. That was Jamie Foxx, okay? He was the guy. He was the dentist that uh, freed... Uh, Jamie Foxx's character in that one, but also in Glorious Bastards. Uh, what else? Oh man, he was so good. He played. Um, he was the evil guy in that one. So if you remember the table scene in Glorious, not oh man, yeah, in Glorious Bastards, uh, the table scene with the the farmer, that was Christopher Waltz. But also in Carnage, not the Marvel superhero film guys. So don't get don't get it twisted, okay? But Carnage. Uh, what else? Um, what oh what was that that other movie that really, yeah no time to die so you've seen the James Bond movie he played Blofeld so he came back a couple of times for that one but the French Dispatcher I love that man he's Alita Battle Royale uh, he's such a great actor and I really like his journey because he didn't really have his quote unquote breakout role until much later in his life and I just love his journey so if you want to look it up then feel free I don't want to bore you guys with it so we also have Hung Chow. So, Miss Hung Chow, uh, and I'm hoping, and I'm so sorry um, if I butchered that last name. C H A U is the last name. You know, maybe I normally do this kind of live, but maybe what I should do going forward is look up the phonetic 
you know, breakdown of these names so I don't butcher them as much as I sometimes do. Um, but yeah, so beautiful, beautiful actress. Uh, she's in The Whale, if you haven't seen that. The um, illustrious whale that started Brendan Fraser. I haven't seen it yet, but she played Liz. She played The Menu. So that one also, I believe, got some nominations and some awards, I believe. But she was Elsa. So she was the the assistant cook for <laughs> she was Voldemort's assistant cook. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was laughing because I was just like Rafe Fines is, is the actor name. But I just thought I was laughing because I was just thinking about that. But she was also Lady True. For four episodes of The Watchmen, HBO's Watchmen, and that that show is amazing. But I love her as an actress, man. She's amazing, fun. She did uh, a comedy as well. She done a couple comedies, but she was in Asteroid City, which is the uh, Wes Anderson film, Artemis Fowl. So she's done a lot of things, and I like her in everything that she's done thus far. So that's exciting. And last but not least, our fourth one we have Miss Kristen Wiig. Uh, now. I believe she's married to Matt Damon, at least seemingly from the trailer. So, but they have a list of pretty far, but I think that has a lot to do with, you know, star meters and et cetera, et cetera. So Kristen Wiig, in case you're wondering, yeah, she's the SNL actor um, or actress. Should I say so she played Sue. She played the target lady where she was like scanning everybody's stuff. She was in Bridesmaids in which she also was a writer and co-produced. She was in Skeleton Twins, Zoolander 2. Her list goes on in for... For all you superhero comic book um, nerds, she was in Wonder Woman where she played Barbara Minerva, you know, the cat leopard lady or something. I don't know. I don't know what the, yeah, I don't know. You know, anywho, that rounds out our top build cast. So let's watch this satire that's not listed as a comedy satire on IMDb for some reason. And it'll be interesting. I, like I said, I like Everybody involved. I haven't really seen Christopher Waltz in a lot of comedies, and I damn sure haven't seen Matt Damon. So this will be very interesting. Anywho, following per usual, we have our intermission that's coming up, and then it's going to be followed by our post-production breakdown. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this week's episode of Flicks and Scripts with Jay Starks, in which we were watching Downsizing. Hey folks, thank you so much for listening to the first pre-production segment of this week's episode for Downsizing. Um, Hopefully, I'll be enjoying it. <laughs> the post-production breakdown is coming up next. I haven't seen uh, Mr. Matt Damon, or as uh, if you've ever seen Team America, The World Police, Matt Damon has done in comedies. I haven't seen him do that many comedies, so this should be interesting. So, Stay tuned. Do me a favor. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram, the podcast at Flicks and Scripts with Jay Stark, so you can see what we have coming up next week. Remember, two, uh, what's it called? Remember, Trailer Tuesday. No, that's wrong. Remember, two, <laughs> this is new. I told you. Remember, <laughs> Teaser Tuesday will drop little hints on the upcoming film for that Friday. So, Thank you so much. Once again, that's Flicks and Scripts with Jay Starks is actually the name of the podcast. In case you're like, what is the name of that Instagram 
that I'm supposed to be following, then look at the name of this podcast. And that's exactly what it is. Anyway, give us a follow there. That way you'll be able to see the upcoming film. And you know what? You can engage. You can DM me. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know if you like this new formatting that's hopefully a little bit snappier, a little bit quicker. Let me know. And if you have any film suggestions, then drop me a line. Of course, for the most part, the films that I try to review are the first time I'm seeing them. I will break that rule a little bit. Um, Come December, we're going to be reviewing two films. You know what? Two Christmas films, should I say, but not in the traditional sense. Anywho, I'm going to be having a friend with me reviewing. So that's why we're going to break that mode because it's Christmas. So why not? It's like a gift, you know, and I want to give the gift of the films to keep on giving to me. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and stay tuned for the post-production breakdown of Downsizing. Welcome back, guys. All right. Ah, it's time. It's time to do the uh, post-production breakdown. If uh, if this happens to be your first time listening, this segment, the post-production, is directly after watching the film. Uh, so everything is fresh and nothing is written down. So it's going to be kind of my unbiased, true gut feeling is going to be subjective, of course. But yeah, that's what we're going to get into now. And um, yeah. So let's get it started. All righty. So downsizing, man, I was surprised by this film. Let's say that before we get into that part, um, I'm not going to lie. The the background, the crew portion might be a little shorter because I have a lot to say about this film. I have a lot to say about this film. Yeah, let's do that. So, yeah. All right. So starting off, um, let's go art. OK, cool. This is a film that is supposed to be representative of our actual world. Right. So. Things are for lack of a better term, uh, true to life, the colors, the patterns, and especially you in the beginning of the film, they had the more corporate look, uh, that kind of gray steel buttoned up feel. And over the course of the film, which I did like the film kind of, uh, ended up ending in a, with a natural feel, uh, which is interesting because they didn't choose any bold colors or any or crazy designs or anything like that to draw attention. It was just supposed to feel like a mirror of our world. But I do feel and I just thought about this while I started talking. Um, yeah, the first couple of shots were very corporate. It starts off with him at the the. I guess the chop shop, is that what it's called? The butcher shop or something like that for Omaha steaks. So that's very corporate, you know, that corporate feel, everything was kind of sterile. It was clean. Uh, the perfect symmetry, like, you know, the camera angle shot down rows and channels and leading lines um, that were for the most part equal on both sides of the screen. So 
that's how we started off. And then we slowly, and it's, it's odd because I'm only thinking about it now that I'm talking about it. It is, which I do like. So the whole art design and direction of the film slowly becomes to feel more organic or nature like, I mean, some of the last moments of the film involve beautiful water, serene, you know, like the serene atmosphere, there's lush greens and browns and the vibrancy of the sun. And that's pretty much where we end the film, except for the little epilogue at the end. But, you know, the bulk of that film has ended. We could have very much ended there. And, you know, if they were on a, on a boat and drive off to the sunset. But the little epilogue, the little tag they added was him helping her out, which we already knew that's what he was going to do anyway. And he's going to be feeling good about it. That's why he left the tunnel. So whatever. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to get into the subjective part yet. But um, so I like how that art, the art design shifted throughout the film. And um, it's really interesting because once again, it goes from corporate to more so like that middle America kind of feel to um, lower income housing to getting back to the roots. Whereas these villagers living off of the earth next to a lake. And that's a cool, that's a cool little background thing that happened that I didn't recognize until I started talking about it. Anyway, that was pretty cool. But once again, it wasn't like, um, no scene was supposed to scream at you. Look at me. I'm beautiful. But I did feel feel like a lot of the corporate scenes and some of the scenes that occurred before he really started reconnecting with nature and what have you still had that symmetry straight down the line. And it's every, all the spacings even all around, you know, you know, so um, that's a pretty cool. And then that symmetry was gone by the end of the by the end, there was a couple of asymmetrical shots and what have you, but it wasn't part of it because, you know, nature is organic. It's it's unpredictable. It's it's um the thing that rules us all, you know, so that's cool. Yeah, Um, the color palettes, you know, had some browns until once again, we go into the more organic feel and we had a lot of creams and greens then. But before that, there were the browns and grays of the corporate world. And then we started relaxing in representation of humans as far as wardrobe. Once we get to leisure land and then it just further relaxes to the point that Matt Damon is Paul. Excuse me. Paul is walking around in like linen capri pants and a loose fitting like yoga sweater, you know. So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, Let's uh, let's maybe let's move on to camera. So. The camera, camera, once again, I I kind of hit on it and mentioned it a little bit already that that symmetry disappeared um, as we got more organic with the art design and the, you know, the, the de-evolution of our corporate ways and thinking and getting closer and back to nature, you know. Um, so, yeah, a lot of symmetrical shots, uh, very even, very clean, you know. Yeah, I would like to know how some of the CGI shots were done. Like, 
you know, was it um some green screen action or what? Because, you know, that scene with uh Paul and Dave, Matt Damon's character and Jason Sudeikis character looked really good. It looked really clean. I was really impressed by it. Uh, so, yeah, that's interesting. So a lot of that um, was was trying to figure out how they shot that. Um, you know, did they shoot a plate and then, you know, compose it on top of it or what have you? Oh, sorry. So a plate uh, for those the uninitiated or the the new to the film, um, a plate would be shot to help sell a VFX shot. Now, I am not a post-production person. I am not a digital VFXer <laughs> or any of that. But um, to my knowledge, and feel free to slide into my DMs at Flicks and Scripts with Jay Starks in case I am correct to correct me. Um, but yeah, so a plate would be if I want a VFX shot of, um, a, I don't know, a, uh, a giant teddy bear in a bedroom, right? And the, I couldn't get a, a real bear that size or to move around or whatever. So then, and you want the teddy bear to be as tall as the ceiling. So then what you do is you shoot the area that you're expecting and going to place said teddy bear without the teddy bear. So it'll just be an empty room or whatever. And then when they go in post-production, then when they create the teddy bear, they'll put it on top and it kind of helps everything blend or something like that. Anyways, I don't know. What have you? I'm going too far past this. So yeah, the um once again, the camera work looked nice. Um, I don't think, yeah, it was just, it felt right for the film. Nothing felt off. They had like one match cut in there that I noticed towards the end. And it was when he was sitting on the grass. So when he was really becoming one with nature, that was the only one I could think about at that point. Um, what else? What else? Yeah. The lighting was beautiful. It was nice and it became nicer towards the end of the film that, uh, uh man, the, the whole boat sequence going into or landing at um the the village the original village from the original small people um or downsized people you know what i'm saying but that sequence of them arriving was beautiful and that's one of those things where i'm like okay that's got to be a cgi shot right i think so anyway um but then when they were on the the carriages, the horse and carriage. They're like, okay, so this big flower behind him, is that CGI? Because there's like one or two. Is that CGI or was that built? You know, because I feel like that would be a fairly easy thing to build to really have it feel lived in. But I don't know. Anywho, that's not the important part that I was talking about. The sequence of them coming into that village, all of that was beautiful. Um, when they were watching the final sunset, uh, man, that I was, I was just in awe. Like, I think I was looking at my, with my mouth agape open. You know what I mean? Um, it was a extremely beautiful shot. And I, I really like how 
at least from my viewpoint, um, the the lighting once again it went from that ah that blue that steely blue and brown kind of feel to that green and vibrant well vibrant green and that yellow warm sun towards the end of it um i really like that whole aesthetic so i i feel like the lighting the camera and the art design all worked in tandem perfectly for the setting of this film as well as of course the wardrobe i kind of hit on that a little bit already so um let's see so we just talked about a uh, sound the sound was nice um uh, the sound design was okay. The sound was nice for the whole film. Had no problems. I liked it. I liked when they chose to fade out background people when Paul is deep in thought. I love the um the sounds of the of the city, especially when they went to the I guess the lower income uh portion of leisure land that was dug out in the tunnel or what have you so i like the sounds that they had a city so that changed but what is interesting is they end up mentioning in the film that uh like insects and birds or what have you so whenever uh they had outside shots in leisure land it was fairly quiet even though they're supposed to be out in nature so i thought that was a nice touch i really thought that was cool from like a sound design perspective um so yeah that was interesting i do like and for, even from sound design as well like when the big people versus the little people were talking to one another um whatever they had to do to augment the voices like when the dave character and i forgot his wife's name um first showed up at the class reunion or what have you they had um, microphones, which is understandable because the music from the part was going in the back and they later lost those. But how to find the right um, volume, pitch and, you know, vibration and everything else from the voices, because like even with the Paul scene, when Paul's talking to um, Dave, Dave played by Jason Sudeikis, um, his voice sounded like his voice if it was to be that small if that sounds you know it, it I feel like it lost some gravitas or what have you you know and especially compared to talking to Matt Damon's character there was a a difference to me at least and then of course when we later on when um Paul shrinks down to the size of everyone else then all of the voices are have that same quality I don't, maybe that's just me but I heard a difference in it you know when they were talking so that's pretty cool because I wonder how you know how long do, do you take to dial that in uh are you using a mathematical equation by how much because I think they said something about they're going to lose point something of their current body mass or something so did they calculate that into the voice because you don't want to get into like a smurf situation and they're like just talking squeaky so I thought that was interesting but I mean, it makes sense, though, because if everything is shrinking down to size, then is it just your voice that's almost feels and sounds like it's been passed through multiple layers or just a dissipated voice that's not echo? You know what I mean? Like, you, yeah, you know, that's pretty. So I enjoyed that. And a really cool moment 
um, one of my favorite moments, probably, which is a shout out to the camera, to the director, everybody was the, the final sunset because that was beautiful. I was watching that. And not only is it beautiful to watch, but it was I, I feel like not having any music during that section just took that scene to another level, you know? Like, the framing was beautiful, the lighting was sexy, and even the stillness of the people, you know, that already was, to me, a powerful shot, you know, a powerful sequence. And then the decision to not have music, I feel, took that to a whole nother level. <laughs> you know, like, I, if there was some music playing, some very low music playing, then, you know, I think I would have been okay with it. But they chose to have no music. And that shit was powerful to me. Like, it really, really tugged at me when that shit happened. And and I am a fan of, I am a, fa a fan of sound design that's not afraid to lose said sound design for impact. Okay. So what I mean by that would be that, for example, the sunset in here or um, spoiler for anybody who haven't watched Game of Thrones yet, but on Game of Thrones, uh, the, you know, the HBO show, uh, the Red Wedding what was that season three, four. I don't know. I, I can't remember. But the Red Wedding episode and, you know, everything that happened during that episode. So I'm not going to get real spoilery. OK, so how about that? Everything that happens at the Red Wedding episode is already like, you know, raising your blood pressure and you're like, what the fuck is happening? This shit is going down. And then the screen goes black. The credits roll. And it's silence. Just silence as the credits rolled the entire episode. And I see I'm talking about it now and I can feel myself getting excited. I was so giddy about that, that fucking choice, that brilliant choice to not use music at that moment for those credits just really drove home everything that you saw, you know, and I, I ended up texting friends like, yo, do you watch Game of Thrones? If you're not, if you don't, you need to get it. So you watch The Red Wedding or the people that I didn't know were watching it. I would just message them The Red Wedding. It was that impactful. And I feel like this film did the same thing with that sunset and no sound. I just love when they do shit like that. It's cool to me. It's cool. Like, what was that quiet place? They did a quiet place, of course, whenever they were switching to the, the daughter's perspective since she was deaf. Then whenever they switched to her, then the sound design would drop out. And, well, there wouldn't be any sound. I don't know if they put something in post to make it to help sell that or what have you but it the sound design was dropped out almost negligible you know what I mean um so they played around with that and even when I was watching I was like that's a cool touch I like that I like it and it's one of those weird sound design elements that because once again really good sound design should only um well, all of it, really good sound design should serve the movie. But if it's just always kind of there and supporting the film and not drawing too much attention to itself, then that sound design has done a fantastic job. You know what I mean? But the sound design 
when they do those dead spaces of uh, audio calls attention to said sound design. But when when I've seen it has been done so well that I don't care. And it just boosts what I'm seeing to a whole nother level that I think if it had sound, you know, it would not have reached. That's for me. I don't know. Anyway, so th- I really like the sound design in this one. I think this is the most I've ever talked about the sound. Um, the editing was nice. We already talked about some match cuts. So that was cool. And yeah, I just, I really like from technical standpoint, I loved everything about it. I love the shots they chose to do. Um, I love the timing of the editing, like the reveal for um, Audrey's character, Kristen, played by Kristen Wiig, when she just wasn't there. Because like when they were shaving um, Paul, I was like, oh, man, they're shaving. Okay, they shaved his head and his eyebrows. Okay. And then they had him on a gurney. I was like, whoa, they're not going to. And he like laid back with full like werewolf leg hanging from the bottom of his dress. His or whatever. What's the hospital thing called? This, you know, the dress to show your ass. That one. You know what I mean? I was like, dude, this this man's legs are hairy as shit. And then he went to sleep. They 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 gave him some whatever it is to put him to sleep. And then they went to town. I was like, oh, okay, there we go. And they went to town on oh boy. So yeah. So anyway, I was thinking that and I was like, okay, this is interesting. I was like, wait, I guess they would have to shave off like the women's hair as well. And everybody's just like, you know, walking around like that. That's so interesting. And then she says she couldn't go through it, and then they flash and she has like, you know, no hair. And eyebrow, and the, the the reason I'm I'm really getting into this is because I would imagine, especially for her, that she did uh, a bald cap, um, and probably I don't know a killer makeup team or something, or or at least special effects makeup to hide her other eyebrow. Okay, but for Matt Damon character, I'm assuming they just had him shave his hair that's my assumption maybe i could be wrong but i you know what really makes me the extras in this film that got their eyebrows shaved like on camera what the fuck is that what i what like was that in the breakdown was that in the breakdown that's what okay sorry all right so second thing of today a breakdown is um in the film world is like, so me as an actor, there's websites or like my agent or what have you, or a friend or something might send me. If you're looking for a character to do X, Y, Z, then you reached out to a casting director. You say, I'm looking for a character to do X, Y, Z casting director say, cool. And they tell me about the character and give me like the sides, which are the lines you have to learn the dialogue. So then they send it out into the world, like on the Internet or what have you. And then I see it. And that's called a breakdown. It's a breakdown of the character that you will be auditioning for. OK. Um, so anyway, I'm wondering, like for the the featured background characters, like did they get a, a pay bump for shaving themselves? Was it in the. How much of that was in the like in the breakdown and how much if they were compensated and got a pay bump, how much were they compensated? Because I don't know. I've never, I've never not 
had eyebrows. I've never like accidentally shaved them off even when I was a kid or anything like that. So I don't understand how long it takes to grow side, not side, well, eyebrows. Because like the guys were like, oh, okay. Oh, I'm changing my, you know, my headshot if they even have a headshot to now I'm bald. But to shave your eyebrows, that's dedication. Because what are you going to do then? You got to wait till your eyebrows grow. And that's got to be a long ass ugly stage between no eyebrows to full eyebrows. I don't know. I've never seen it. If anybody have like a video of eyebrows growing in real time or something like that, that would be kind of weird and creepy. But it would be kind of cool for me to see. I'm not going to lie. So I'm going to have to Google it because I'm as soon as I finish this, I'm going to Google it because I'm really questioning this now. And I'm and if I find out how much these featured extras got paid for the eyebrow shaving, I will make sure to discuss it in next week's intermission. How about that? If I and if I don't find anything, then you won't hear anything about it anymore. <laughs> so anyway, moving on, let's go ahead. And as you can see, I really enjoyed everything about this film. Let's go ahead and jump into the most exciting part, um, the subjective viewpoint. Okay, here comes the fun stuff. Uh, I don't even know where to start, man. Um, I, man, you know what I'm loving about this podcast? I... I'm not the biggest Matt Damon fan, right? I The films that I've seen him in, I have thoroughly enjoyed, right? And I love his hustle and how he even broke into the, the world. I like his movies. Now, I'm not such a fan where he's not on my Mount Rushmore, no offense, but I'm not, if the movie's starring Matt Damon, I'm not going to go and rent to go see it, you know? But then again, there aren't a whole lot of actors that I do that for. But I mean, some of my, you know, some of my Mount Rushmore, you know, Denzel Washington and Gary Oldman. Boom. Yeah, I'll go see something with a minute without. I got to figure out what my other two are. I still haven't given them much thought, but I'm sure it's there somewhere. Anywho, I wouldn't run out and go see this movie because Matt Damon was in it. I, you know. Well, I haven't seen it to now. And when did and I forgot when it came out. It came out in 2017. So, you know, that's a that's a while ago. That's six years ago. This film has been out and I've never seen it. So, yeah, it was so much better than I thought. And I didn't even know, you know, I joked during the pre-production segment when I said it was a drama, fantasy and sci-fi um, that it's at satire and the trailer definitely looked like com more comedic had a comedic um lilt to it uh so yeah after watching it i stick to my guns there were some genuinely funny shit that either happened or more importantly was written so well in this fucking film um they had blatant funny bits and then some that were interesting like the choice to have little ronnie had like a herp on his um upper lip. Why? I mean, I get it because he's probably young and doing whatever the fuck. But I feel like, okay, that laugh was like, okay, I guess so. Oh, yeah. Ah. But some of the dialogue that um I'm not even going, that Hong's character, I'm not going to try to murder her uh, her character name. Um, 
let's just say Tran, okay? So the Tran um, was able to do some funny shit with some serious, um, at first serious sounding dialogue, if that makes sense. So it's not meant, first of all, um, Hong is a, I, I said it before, she's an amazing freaking actress, man. And this came out before I saw her other stuff. She's so good, so good at this um, role. Like, I was watching it, and in the middle of it, I had to um, look and see, like, what her ethnicity was. Because um, I was curious, like, okay, did she do any research for this? Is she pulling from her family or people that she knows? So her um, ethnicity lines up with the same character, with the same character. It lines up with that of the character. Uh but yeah, she was so good and she would say the like realest shit in the straightest face that was so funny to me. So funny. And it this was just everybody who's in this knocked out of the park with the role. Even, you know, Chris Christoph Waltz, who I love. Like, his little character uh, nuances and things that he did for Dusan fucking had me cracking up. Like, when he was on the boat and this after Tran and Paul um, had Quaitus. So the next day they come up on deck and uh, Jorgen is driving the boat and Dusan just looking, smiling ear to ear. <laughs> like, cheesing the entire time. So, yes, the scene is funny, but the subtlety, but it wasn't, he was just giving a, his character smile. So it wasn't over the top. It was just those little nuances that these actors did cracked me up. Um, I laughed so many times. <laughs> um, but, you know, what's interesting about this film and why I really like this film is as many times as I laughed, it it juggles some serious shit like it's juggling you know the a car carbon fi footprint the carbon footprint that us humans leave on this earth you know humans we're destroying our planet um some people may not care others do you know i try to recycle uh as much as i can we try to you know, we try to be green as much as possible. And even just reusing stuff, like instead of just, oh, this container came from this. What else can I use this for? You know, but anyway, um, so it tackles that issue. Uh, so, you know, about the whole CO2, which is why some people chose to downsize. But at the same time, it also had a, a secondary purpose because downsizing allowed uh you to, I don't know, I don't want to say have a higher socioeconomic status. Like, in other words, if you, if you a big person, as they call it in the film, then, and you have $1 million, you have $1 million. But if you turn into a small person, if you downsize, that $1 million would be like, you know, 50 million or whatever the fuck, um, because you're using less portion size, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, Anyway, that's pretty much how it, it, it kind of works. So it's interesting to me 
that the the socioeconomic issues that plagued the big world still affected the small world, right? So that was another thing they talked about. Um, so being green, carbon footprint, and destruction of the earth by humans, and then socioeconomic like levels and bullshit that we deal with on a constant basis. And um, I think that was the major two that uh, that they really hit on. And then, of course, at the end, they kind of doubled down on the um, the eco portion with the whole, you know, thing that the methane gas eruption that's going to kill off the planet in the sixth extinction. Um, so. Sixth extinction, extinction and second of mankind, you know, if you believe in the Bible, etc. So anyway, um, yeah, so it kind of took a turn for the more dramatic, but the peppered in humor really helped make it feel as though they weren't being preachy, you know? Um, and I think that's the best form of art personally, especially when it comes to filmmaking, um, and storytelling, especially if you can entertain while stating your point or while expressing your viewpoint on a particular subject and it's entertaining and engaging that it can resonate with people a lot more than you standing on a soapbox preaching about it, you know, because if, if you connect with people emotionally and mentally, then that's deeper. And that's because of, you know, the, the way film works, you know, you're watching a film. So you got your visual components, you're hearing it. So that's your auditory, you're, um, making a mental, you know, account of what you're watching and depending on who you're watching it with, you're watching the movie theater or you have popcorn. So then you got the olfactory senses going and all this stuff that affects you. Then, you know, it has staying power. Uh, so yeah, but if you could do that and entertain where people don't realize it, I think you got, you know, that's the, that's the, that's the ticket. And I feel like this film really did that well i'm sure there are going to be people that disagree maybe if you don't believe in global warming and like oh that movie's bullshit and it's preachy or what have you but i feel like they juggled it really well and even when the jokes were written in and said partially you know the bet between the direction and the um performance of hong of excuse me of tran it didn't take away from the seriousness of what they were talking about you know so that was cool and then also even at the end even though you know the whole world's supposed to be ending paul's character decides to go back with tran so the world could still be ending but he's come to terms with that so that was kind of cool because he wants to be with her so we don't know you know were they being hyperbolic all the the first village of small people and hyperbolic or were they wrong completely or were they right and tran and paul aren't going to live that long but that's okay because they have each other you know it had that sentimentality behind it too this is why i think this is a really interesting film this is why i like this podcast because going back to the whole matt damon i'm not going to go run to the movie theaters to go watch matt damon movie but this one i 
was really happy with the choice. And the only reason it came up was because I was watching No Heart Feelings for the last podcast. And this was one of the, you know, on Netflix, three, you know, films or whatever akin to what you just watched kind of popped up or whatever. I don't know how the algorithm, you know, something you might want, want to see pops up there and downsizing was there. So I clicked it and then it played and I have thoroughly enjoyed this entire movie. I really have. Um, I'm, now I'm, I'm trying to think about if, if there was a character that I didn't get or understand. Um, you know, I, I really don't think I do because what's interesting about this film is who is, who is the antagonist? That's, that's what's interesting and, and 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 I feel as though that's what's also making this film feel fresh to me. It's it's the entertaining portion with the stating your you know a supposed viewpoint, but then at the same time, this other character who believed the viewpoint was correct decided that you know love and human connection was more important, and you just stacked all these things in the jokes. And then the adult like humor. And it's just really interesting how they did that. And I think it made me it made me enjoy it a lot more. It was unsuspected, to say the least. So, yeah. And that's the good thing about this podcast, because if I didn't. You know, would I have watched this? I don't know. It's been out for six years. That's crazy. Alrighty, so we're back. I had, to, I had to take that break because I was really trying to think about the antagonist and I was hoping that a little pause would help me and it really didn't. It didn't. I don't know who the antagonist is. Like, in the beginning of the film, would the antagonist be Kristen Wiig? I think so. Like a temporary antagonist, um, the Audrey character. So we kind of grew to like her because, you know, she's Kristen Wiig. So she has that charisma and they're supposed to be going through everything and he said he wants to do anything to make her happy. He'll do anything for her. But then come to, you know, the flip side, he goes in and then you come out and it's irreversible. And then like your wife is like, I'm not going to do it. Like, well, what the fuck? What you talking about? We had opportunities to talk about this. You know what I mean? Um, so she was I feel like she was definitely supposed to to feel like an antagonist at that moment in time. What I thought was cool was even then after that so i'm like whoa okay well how's this money situation going to work is it going to be a half situation or what and are they going to get a divorce etc cetera, etc cetera. turns out they did get a divorce and there was a nice touch in the writing in the writing of this because the lawyer the state lawyer what or the divorce lawyer excuse me um said uh, uh see we I, I think we should have took our first offer so it's been a, a, a battle I don't know how lengthy but it's got to be have of some length you know uh to the point that he doesn't have the big house he's staying in an apartment complex now so you know she was the temporary antagonist but then after that he meets Jorgen he's introduced and you would think that he's going to be the new antagonist but not really he's the the catalyst for 
everything else that happens. You know, he he's the anxiety. He is like the the like the human representation of the inciting point of this story. The inciting incident, excuse me. Um, and that's where Jorgen's character inciting incident, the third and last one for today, guys. Sorry if you don't know. The inciting incident when I'm watching a film is the thing that makes the story begin or really begin to kick off or et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of times like a marked change in the protagonist or what have you. So like, you know, most of the being small stuff, we kind of expected that, but then he really began his journey once he met Jorgen because then because of Jorgen, he met Tran and then et cetera, boom, 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 inciting incident. But anyways, so I feel like your, not Jorgen, Dusan, excuse me, Dusan um, played by Christoph Waltz was the inciting incident that man so that's really interesting because i thought he was going to be the antagonist and then after that who who is the antagonist um the world humans because th they talk about you know trans um her other people that died in it making she lost her leg and clearly there's a a pretty substantial group of people living in a hole in the wall in the where in what is essentially the slums and it's they pretty much said that because i think the um Saffronix, did i say that because i was running joke in there um i think they said they had 125,000, which is equivalent to 12 and a half million or something like that um now that was one of many packages so that means that even though so 125,000 in the big people world is 12 is a couple million in the little people world. Why not share that wealth? Like you just became a millionaire overnight and people are still being stingy, still being, you know, looking down upon other people. And that's kind of sad. It's kind of sad. And this is what I mean by this film because it'll make me laugh and then it'll turn around and do some gut punching shit like that. Like they literally live in a hole in the wall. How fucked up is that? That is just insane. The layers to this film and how they decided to do it. The acting in it, because Matt Damon is a fantastic fucking actor. We all know this. Christoph Waltz, I you already I've already said it. I love him. Have not seen anything that he's disappointed me in. But then um, Tran pops up and steals this, the show, steals it like as if everybody else was doing a good job. And Kristen Wiig did a pretty good job. She wasn't in there that long. So it wasn't like a whole lot to write home about, you know? Anyway, yeah, this film, it, it was all over, the all over the place in the best of ways. It kept me guessing. And like I said, it, after, after, you know, 30, 40 minutes in, I, am I wrong? Can somebody, if I'm incorrect about the antagonist, please drop me a DM or you can share the image and then say, no, this happened. But I don't, I don't know who the antagonist is after Dusan is proven to not be the antagonist. And it's interesting because I, I figure now they did still find ways to have conflict, which is what I love. And this is the thing. There's no antagonist, but there's still conflict happening. Right. So you have the divorce. So in which she was the antagonist. And then I guess, um, ooh, man, see uh, the divorce, 
And then after that, see, I'm even trying to think about it. It's, it's more so like the grouping of people and the way the world, the big and small, are acting. Anyway, yeah, so some of the conflict happened. Like, I figured uh, that he would end up falling for her. Kind of saw that coming a little a little mile away. Um, I don't necessarily think they, um, I don't know, like, had flashing lights to show that it was coming. Uh, but you could tell, like, no, nobody was looking at it, at each other lovingly until he did. And even Tran character was just like fucking cutthroat, calling him stupid and everything else. Not as, and she definitely didn't feel like an antagonistic force. And all of a sudden you still, but you still knew it was going to happen. And I figured once they got to the, um, the, the old village or whatever, that there's going to be conflict because especially after um, they convened in coitus, right? I was like, oh, okay, here comes some conflict. She's going to want to go back. He's going to stay because almost, especially after the divorce and even before the divorce, I don't feel like he was super happy with his life, right? So he, I feel like he saw the tunnel as a, as a new life. Because he left his old life, his big person life behind for the small person life, trying to improve upon his big person life. But then the small person life didn't work out because Audrey is a bitch and she left him, you know, anyway. And then um, the tunnel life is like the third life where he can start over again. So definitely can see why his character wanted to go, you know, and then hoping that he can pull Tran with her him. Because her life in the small world isn't the best, especially in his eyes. Of course, to her, her life is fulfilled and fulfilling, should I say, because she's helping others who are less fortunate, you know, and he didn't under, quite understand that. No, he's not the privileged type of like his friend Dave or Dusan or what have you, but he still had much more privilege than Tran. He was more privileged than Tran, but she's helping other people out and her life is fulfilled. And he definitely didn't feel fulfilled as a big person. And he seek, he was searching for that in the small world, since you're supposed to be able to live off much more. And what's interesting to me, I, I don't really, I guess he tried to start over with the, um, the single mother day he was dating, but that felt odd. Maybe it was just to kind of show that he was trying. You know what I mean? Trying to move on or ready to move on. Um, so anyway, I already knew it was going to be conflict because of his ones versus her, her ones. And that was nice. It, like, it's just interesting how they did that. Um, but yeah, but even still, that conflict wasn't super strong you know it wasn't like conflict that that stays with you it's just like okay yep that's gonna be a that's gonna be an issue you know you knew it was coming but it was like soft conflict it wasn't like hard violent conflict it was like soft soothing cuddly conflict that just kind of kept the film going and i'll be interested to see after normally after i do this then i'll look up some stuff so it'll be interesting to see what the um reviews were or the feedback or what people felt about 
the film. At Le Chat Noir, um, I directed a play called Lung. So the executive and artistic director, what I what I liked to do was, was challenge myself. So normally I would be asked what play I may want to direct. And I often and pretty much every time said, can you just pick one for me that I can challenge myself to grow? Because I think that's what, you know, no matter what your art is, if you're an artist, most artists aim to grow and not just keep repeating the same thing. They want to grow and experiment and learn as much, no matter what your form is. You know what I mean? You're not doing like, oh, I'm a shitty violin player. I'm going to keep playing at this level forever. Like, who does that? You know what I mean? Um, so he gave me this play called Lungs by Duncan McMillan. And it had two actors in there, a blank stage, no props no um like sound effects and no lighting is what the the author suggested as the request or what have you um and we pretty much did that the only thing we did was we just gave a race platform just give some levels uh, for sitting and stuff of that nature but everything was pretty much is like a perfect play for a black box theater anyway my point is that particular play I, that i directed and i loved it i've worked with two of my favorite people um, Jess Bailey and Dwayne Brown, and they're both amazing actors. And that play had a lot to do with, is it like how um, responsible are we as humans to having not only a kid, but multiple kids because of the carbon footprint of human beings? You know what I mean? And it made you kind of question that aspect of kids you know people like, oh kids 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 I'm like oh yeah but we're killing the planet the more people overpopulation the more people you gotta you know for livestock or whatever else then all of that is contributing and then there's more cars etc and that's what the play was about and that's what this was about and they dressed it up in beautiful sexy clothes with great actors and to me at least some pretty good writing it was unexpected i laughed out loud a couple of times anywho as you can see i really enjoyed this film i don't know what else to say i'm gonna just keep gushing about it uh great job all around i don't think the only thing once again the huh, i didn't understand the lady the single mom scene um no 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 never mind i stand corrected i was wondering why that was important to the story and it was important because if things had worked out with the her and her kid, because um, I think he said he wanted to meet them or something like that, then he would have went back into his room and that would have been the end of the fucking movie. But because of her reaction, what she said, that was like the the spark to get him to get the rose, say, fuck it, get the rose, give it up to Dusan that then started him on this journey. So I understand why that scene in the, is in there. It was just so, see, that's the thing. It's like such a small scene, right? It's not that, that big, but such a pivotal part of the film. Like the film can't happen without that scene um, moving and ending the way it did. Or, or it might happen, but it would feel less organic and clunky. You know what I mean? Or what have you. 
So that's what I mean by this film. It was really surprising. I'm happy I'm doing this podcast because I wouldn't have watched this film, I don't think. It, it would have been like a suggestion from somebody else. Because trust me, my Netflix list, like most people I'm assuming, is long as shit. And I was going to restrict myself to only having X amount of projects on there um, to to make sure I'm knocking shit out. But then I started the podcast. So now I'm like, oh, I need to watch this later. And I'm going to watch this. So now it's gotten out of damn control. My point is, is that I had other <laughs> shows and films on my list that I probably could have watched. But then this thing popped up. And lo and behold, I guess so. I mean, it's one less thing to come out of my list, but whatever. I enjoyed this film, guys. Uh, if you watched it, let me know. What were your thoughts? Anything you didn't like? Anything that you loved? Anything you would have changed? Um, let me know. Slide into the DMs or flicks and scripts with Jay Starks on the Instagram. There's an email if you want it in the link. But, I mean, are you, how many people are really going to be emailing? If you listen to this. You know, anywho, thank you folks for um, rocking with me. This was a fun one. This is fun. I'm happy I'm happy this one popped up on my screen. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Share, tell your friends, tell your family. This uh, film was a beautiful piece of art. So go out there and make your own. Art is love, guys. <laughs>